It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide, brought to you by Coors Light. Logan Couture wins it in overtime. Now, now, here's your host, Ted Ramey. Slide to the left for McTavish. He's got two goals. He's across the Sharks line, gave it away to Hurdle, who pokes it to himself on the left. He's going to have to protect the puck here, but he lost it to McTavish. Fed forward on the right. Terry moving in, dropped it in front. They score. John Klingberg, who was robbed by Kapo Kakinen earlier in the game, comes up with the pass in the slot and beats the San Jose goaltender. The final score in overtime, Anaheim five, the Sharks four. What a bitter defeat for the Sharks as they console Kapo Kakinen on his way off the ice. I will start off the show by reminding you that there is no guarantee that losses for the San Jose Sharks will equate to the drafting of Connor Bedard. Right now, all these losses truly produce is pain. There is no guarantee that getting the most losses or the fewest amount of points will lead to the best pick. It gives you the greatest chance of getting that first overall pick, but there is no guarantee. The only guarantee we feel right now is pain. And perhaps if you wanted an explanation of why William Eklund isn't up playing with the Sharks right now or why a Thomas Bordalo is not up playing with the Sharks, then maybe you should look no further to what happened last night. The San Jose Sharks are a team that have shown on multiple occasions and multiple occasions even recently that they are not capable of holding on to a multi-goal lead, that they are not able to win games, that they are still learning how to do that, and that the team wants to protect their younger and developing players from what is going on with the Sharks right now, because what is going on with the Sharks right now is just painful loss after painful loss after painful loss with a few nice wins sprinkled in that don't, you know, make you feel like everything's going in the right direction. The the wins are nice, granted, but there are far too many painful, painful losses and things that the Sharks simply uh, do incorrectly. You look at where the Sharks are right now, 12 wins, 20 losses, 8 overtime losses. Yeah, they picked up a point last night. They've got 32 on the year. That is 4 more than Anaheim. But Anaheim, at the bottom of the Pacific Division, has won 3 out of 4 games against the Sharks. And yes, you can point to the overtimes or you can point to the points earned, but that is not going to change whether or not the Sharks got wins and or losses out of those games. The Sharks are incapable of consistently beating the worst team in their own division. Doesn't matter if the Sharks are in 7th place versus the Ducks 8th. That is a damning statistic. What's funny is that I expect tonight the San Jose Sharks will go out and probably beat the Boston Bruins to make life all the more confounding. Or at least that would make sense in the sense that it wouldn't make sense at all. It will be difficult tonight against Boston. I don't want to try and paint a different or diluted picture, but it just would be that nonsensical for the Sharks to bounce back and beat one of the best teams in the NHL because that's what this team feels like they do. 
They do not beat the teams they should beat. However, they would beat a team that they should not beat. But it is quite something that the San Jose Sharks, with a 2-0 lead in the first period on the road, do not exactly fill you with confidence or do not exactly make you feel like the game is over. I felt good about the fact that the Sharks were scoring early, and I felt very, very confident that they would be able to stretch that out and get a good chance to win, but I didn't feel confident that they would be able to win. And I think that if you were a Vegas fan or a Boston fan or a Dallas fan or whoever, you know, one of the good teams you want to pick right now and say, okay, this team is off to a good start. They're playing good hockey. Uh, This is probably going to end up like a win. I think that, that you would probably get a confident answer from the fans of those teams. But where the Sharks are right now, Um, It almost feels like you are waiting for the other shoe to drop, like you are waiting for the oncoming collapse that far too often has come. And that was the painful part of last night, is that as soon as you felt that that lead of 2-0 was not being built upon, you knew that even though it was a good start, and even though the Sharks had done some of the good things you need to do on the road to get a win in the NHL, you felt in the back of your mind that it was going to end in a bad way. At least I did, and I'm sure that I am not the only one that feels that way. You could probably ask members of the Sharks, and they will acknowledge that, yeah, there are some things out there that they do not um, you know, have out of their brain, that it is, it is weighing on their mentality, that it is something that they wonder about. And I'm sure that that's something they want to erase from their game, and it's also something they don't want to get into the brains of a Bordalo or an Eklund. And what's most frustrating, perhaps, is that it negates the good things you see. It's like you can't feel as good about Eric Carlson extending his point streak to 14 games, or you can't feel as good about Kevin LeBanc having one of his best games of the year, or that Timo Meyer adds another two goals to his tally for the 2022-2023 season. You know, that Mark Edward Vlasic, despite having a point, had some bad, bad giveaways. And you look at the number of... Of people that had points last night, you felt that would equate to a win. LeBanc, Meyer, Vlasic, Carlson, Nieto, Hurdle, Benning, Lawrence, Gadjevich, Barabanov. That's 10 players. 10 players tallying points on the night makes you feel like you're getting enough production across your lines that could equate to a win. And I want to say off the top of my head that in Chicago, when they did get a win in their last game on New Year's Day, that they had uh, 12 players recording a point. And you get double-digit players recording points. That feels like a game that you should win. But this is the thing about the San Jose Sharks, is they are finding ways to lose this year, and we've seen it time and time again. And I wish that it wasn't this way. I wish this team knew how to win. I wish they were capable of producing better results. But this is where they are right now, and they've got to, for lack of a better term, dig their way out. But the digging and the problems and the things we see right now, I don't know if they can quote-unquote dig their way out by the time that this year is done. I think this is now in the midst of a multi-year process to where it is going to take a while and they're going to have to rebuild the culture and they're going to have to rebuild the mental health of this team. And I don't try to be you know liberal with my term of mental health, but I think that you know this team right now has a mindset or psyche issue. Like, they do not feel like they take over games. They do not play like a team that only has thoughts of winning. And I think that that has a negative effect that can be felt over time that it needs to be dealt with before it gets worse because you take a 2-0 lead on the road, you should win that game. And that's not where San Jose is this year. They find ways to lose. And it's something that they need to expel from their game. And it's something they're going to have to work their way out of before they take those next steps into being a better team. And we've heard David Quinn 
say multiple times this year that he doesn't know when it's going to happen, whether it's going to be January, February, March, or April. But, you know, it's it's 40 games gone by now. Tonight will be the 41st, the official end of the first half of the season. And up to this point, the Sharks have not been able to consistently win games. They have been able to consistently find ways to lose. And it's gone from a situation of where they are just good enough to lose, which is always, you know, a bad situation to be in, to being creative in finding their ways to lose. And I know that a lot of you can point to the offside call last night or the non-offside call. And I do feel that for the most part, that officials are very good at figuring these things out. And they look at the non-conclusive evidence, as they called it. And that obviously was a huge, impactful moment in the game. But at the same time, it was probably more impactful when you let a two-goal lead slip away to be tied up 2-2 by the time the first period had come to an end. And the Sharks were also up 3-2. And they were up 4-3. And every time they had these leads, every time they had the ability to put these games away, they were not capable of putting the game away. And it's just going to take time for the San Jose Sharks. And I wish I had a better answer or better explanation of where things were headed. But right now, the greatest definition of where the Sharks are headed is time. Because they are working on retooling or resetting or whatever term you want to use that the Sharks do approve of. Because we know that they do not like to call it a rebuild. But that's what's going on right now. And it's team culture. And it is team performance. And it is everything right now that is being built from the ground up. And the, the thing is, is that's what is needed. Like you do have to build from the ground up because right now this version of the San Jose Sharks team, as much as we do love the fact that Timo Meyer is having a great year, same thing with Eric Carlson. I mean, it's not leading to wins. You know, Kevin LeBanc is looking at it like his best self since 2019. It's not leading to wins. Tomas Hurdle is having a, a very productive season points-wise, might end up with the most of his career. It's not leading to wins. Logan Couture, again, having a solid season. It's not leading to wins. And I think that's what everybody needs to get through their heads is that when you're talking about the puzzle pieces of putting together a winning team in the NHL, having superstar talent makes it that much easier to solve the puzzle. 100%. I do not agree or disagree in the slightest. However, the combination of puzzle pieces that currently exist on the San Jose Sharks with the lack of support around them, it's not equating to wins. And I'm not trying to put the blame on the superstars. Far from it. They are doing their job. I'm just saying that across the board, it's not equating to wins for the San Jose Sharks. And your superstars are supposed to make wins come that much more easily. And the thing is, there is not the talent around these superstars to make the team that much, you know, undeniably better than the opposition to get them a win. I mean, you would hope that in several situations that you would be able to ride these performances of Timo Meyer and Eric Carlson and Tomas Hurdle and Logan Couture to two points on a consistent basis, but that's not what's happening. And that's why the Sharks are in the process of trying to, you know, restructure or, re, you know, rejigger this team, however you want to call it. You know, that's why it's happening. And if you want to get to the, you know, the bones of what Mike Greer was hired to do, it was figure out this massive puzzle for the Sharks. It was go through the decisions, the tough choices that need to be made. And the tough choices might be the trades of a Timo Meyer or a Logan Couture. And even as well as Eric Carlson is playing this year, I, I still think that's a, a task to try and trade that contract that a lot of teams are going to be very, very hesitant to do so. But don't be surprised if it happens. I do not say that as someone who works for, for the team as having any sort of insider information or do I enjoy speculating about what's going to happen to these guys. I just think that that's what Mike Greer was hired to do. 
it's not so much that he's hired to be the bad guy, but he has to make these decisions involving high-profile players that he can hopefully use to create a greater support in the in the system, in the team, and make his up-and-coming players into superstars, put the talent around them, and have it yield greater results while they build towards something better. I mean, I know that that is the job of every general manager, but it is specifically so for the San Jose Sharks because while there has been star talent in San Jose for so long, when you look at those high-quality years, you look at the depth of the team, and it was pretty staggering of the depth you had across the lines, the different players you had out there able to produce and perform on a consistent basis, and the Sharks are trying to get back to that point, and that point where they were for you know the better part of 20 years, it didn't happen overnight, right? When you brought in a Joe Thornton, you had already been developing Patrick Marlowe for many, many years and had seen him develop into a star player. And so you bring in these different talents, you bring in these different players with the existing talent, and hopefully it makes you that much better as more deals are cap-friendly, as you have a better ability to build. But in a way, it also means that Mike Greer has to be the bad guy. You know, he has to be the one that makes you potentially part ways with a Logan Couture or a Timo Meyer. And I have no idea. This is wild speculation for me. I'm just saying that might be what Mike Greer has to do to make this team better next year, the year after, the year after. Like This is a multi-year project that involves painful decisions that will hopefully lead to better performance in the future. The problem with the future as a concept is that it leaves you very much in a painful position in the present, and fans can only endure so much pain, right? Like I understand that the Sharks had this extended run of greatness, and right now you want your fans to remember those good times while looking at better times in the future, but that's not easy, right? Like no one enjoys what happened last night. No one likes losing to the Ducks. No one likes losing to Vegas. No one likes losing in general. You root for your team because they represent your community. You like the uniforms. You like the star players. Whatever the reason is, it is your reason. And that's your time. And that's your emotion. And that is your evening taken up by watching the Sharks. And again, when that is associated with pain, it's not fun. Like You want your fans to associate your product with good times. And that's where the Sharks were for a long time. And right now, that is decidedly not where they are. And it would have been a great win last night, right? Like to go up 2-0 on the road, to feel like everything was going your direction, to really be able to strangle the game and take it and really just put your boot on their neck and take over. It didn't happen. And as we approach the 41-game mark, the official halfway mark of the 82-game schedule, what do we know about this San Jose Sharks team? What do we decide about what they are doing for the future? I think those are the questions that are going to be coming more into clarity over the next coming days and weeks as we do get closer and closer to the trade deadline. But right now, this is a team that consistently finds ways to lose, that does not have the ability to take over games, that can not hold on to multi-goal leads at home or on the road, and that more often than not, is on the losing end. And that's why, as much as we do love, insert your player here, we know that it's not yielding success. And that's why something or many things have to change. If you want to get down to it, change is on the horizon one way or another. I cannot define it. I cannot tell you exactly who it will be. I cannot tell you exactly what that will entail. But I do know that change is on the horizon. That that is something we are going to be looking at Um, maybe not in quote-unquote short order, but I would say sooner rather than later. 
And I mean that change in terms of what is happening on the ice. Like I said, I don't think that David Quinn should worry about his job security. I don't think that Mike Greer should worry about anything. I think those guys are the cornerstones, the foundational pieces of what we are trying to build around. But the team, the players on the ice, as it is constituted today, it'll be different in March. And it'll be different next year when we get into the preseason once again. This is where things do start to really, really change, I believe, for the San Jose Sharks. The second half of the 2022-2023 season. All right, we're going to take a break. On the other side, we're going to get in some post-game sound. We're also going to talk to Dan Wood, the color commentator of the uh, Anaheim Ducks. You're on Morning Tide. That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Welcome back to Morning Tide. Brought to you by Coors Light. Off the face-off, Ducks win the draw. Klingberg dishes off to the right point inside the shark zone. On the right wing half board, Zegras spun around, but it's intercepted by Alexander Barabanov, and he's moving with speed down the right wing. Across the line, he moves in. Backhand shot save. Rebound. Score! Met Nieto in front of the net. That was all Alexander Barabanov. The first shot was stopped by Stoldars, and then the kid from Long Beach, who grew up as a fan of the Anaheim Ducks, Matt Nieto, finished it off. Sharks won, Ducks nothing. Uh, frustrating. I really liked a lot about our game tonight, but, you know, unfortunately we got off to such a great start, and I thought we thought it was going to be easy, and I thought the six minutes and penalties kind of changed the, changed the way that first period went, and obviously it's 2-2, two to two, and then I really liked our second period, and... You know, they get a lucky bounce on the stanchion and, and, you know, get the third goal. And then the fourth goal, I still think, was offsides. But, you know, it's, uh, it's unfortunate we weren't able to get a two points. Unfortunate, but also consistent with what we've seen from the Sharks this year. Because if we look at the game against the Flyers, uh, you know, the previous homestand for the San Jose Sharks. Or if we look at the games earlier in this year against the Ducks, in which they had a 4-2 third period leader. If we look at any of the number of games for the Sharks this year where they've had multiple goal leads that have not equated to wins. I mean, that's just essentially what this team is right now. There are no guarantees. They turn the puck over or they make mistakes or they're on the wrong ends of calls. And, you know, I, I wish there was a better explanation for this, but this is just what happens with bad teams. Even when you have great performances like we saw from Eric Carlson last night again or Timo Meyer or Kevin LeBanc, these star players doing exactly what they are expected to do. It doesn't mean that you're going to end up with a win. Here's Kevin LeBanc, who had two nice assists last night on his Lions performance. Yeah, you know, Tommy, you know, Tommy Timo and myself, you know, we battled. We uh, try and uh, generate a ton of momentum and a ton of chances for the team. And, you know, it's been good. You know, our line's been uh, performing. And, you know, it's not just us. You know, it's lines one, lines two, lines three, lines four. You know, all the defensive pairings as well. So, you know, it's, it's there. It's just a matter of, you know, turning that corner and, you know, really just bearing down for a full 60 whether it's the last five minutes of the game or you know first five minutes and the thing is despite all of that it stings yeah you know that one's a tough pill to swallow I mean we were just so close to winning that game then you know uh, even that offside call you know we saw that it was offside and you know kind of refs overruled it but 
Yeah, this one definitely stings, and uh, you know we just gotta get ourselves uh, mentally and physically ready for the game tomorrow. And Banker was also asked what the team is missing. You know, I'd say that everything's there. You know, uh, offensively, defensively, and you know it's just a matter of uh, finishing it and just uh, finishing the game hard and play a full 60 so that uh, we can uh, get the two points. And we've heard David Quinn talking about that a number of times this year, about the need to finish and close out games, and it's still a lesson that is being learned. And when you learn these lessons in sports and or in life, you know, there is pain along the way, and that's where the Sharks are right now. They are learning painful lessons, and the thing is that all these guys who are learning the painful lessons on the Sharks right now just because they're learning them, that doesn't mean that they are going to be the ones that solve these, you know, these problems, that they are the ones that are going to take these lessons and turn them into better results on the other side, wherever the other side is. We don't know who's going to be on this team next year or in two years or in three years when you hope that these bad moments are going to turn into something greater. I mean, I think that there is a chance that some of these guys are going to be here. I would assume so, uh, but definitely not all. And so those that are here or that will continue to be here, they've got to learn these lessons. They've got to take away the um, necessary information from these tough times to make sure these things don't keep on happening. But for the Sharks right now, they do keep on happening. These are the consistent problems, despite the fact that, you know, a guy like Timo Meyer continues to play out of his mind. Yeah, we have plenty of chances. Uh... We got those two goals in second period, but I thought we could have had, you know, one or two more. Uh, so I think, you know, those two guys, are, we're all three in our game, and, and, and we all play the right way. Uh, it's fun to play with uh, with those two guys, and uh, we created some stuff, but then, uh, you know, we're on the ice for that tying goal. So um, got to do more to, to help this team win. And, of course, a question that many of you are wondering about, was there any sort of an explanation with regards to the non-offside calling or the onside ruling, I I didn't even see the play, but I just heard like almost 99% of the bench say, "Yeah, it was offside." And then, you know, once when you know refs are kind of hanging around, they're looking at the video, and you're just like kind of scratching your head, like, "What are they looking at?" And I guess that uh, he went offside and then came back on at the last second. I'm not I'm not even too sure, but that's what. Uh, that's what the talk was on the bench, and that's what the refs are saying, I think. That's Kevin LeBanc. Here's Timo Meyer. Uh, no, I didn't uh, really look at the screen. And, you know, uh, I, I, you know, going to the bench and hearing guys that saw it were pretty sure it was offside. But, you know, the, the, the referees make the call, and they got, you know, different angles or whatsoever. So I don't, that's not on me to judge. And, you know, uh, we shouldn't get that goal. And, you know, it's obviously, uh, you know, really frustrating to find another way to lose a game here. Yeah, Meyer said it. Find another way to lose a game. And that's the thing, is that is crept into their heads. He said it, not me. He wasn't asked that specific question about finding ways to lose games. That was his answer. That's the conclusion that he's come to. Now, head coach David Quinn, was he given an explanation? No. Very blunt, very to the point. Then Quinn was asked if uh, he was surprised to see it ruled a goal. I, st I mean, after watching it still, I still think it was offsides. I mean, no one tagged up. Uh... Someone has to tag up there, and regardless, it, to me, I, I'm going to get a better explanation uh, later on, but I, I thought it was, I still think it's offside. I mean, I am in line with David Quinn there. I, I, it looked offside to me, but, you know, it was ruled as non-conclusive. So my take that I always come back to is the fact that don't leave a game to a point where 
a referee's ruling can be the deciding factor. And I know that's easier said than done. There's always qualifiers. And listen, you're not wrong. But also, you've got to capitalize on your multi-goal lead. You've got to take control of that game. You've got to put it in a winnable situation so that you do walk away with two points when all is said and done. Now, I started off talking about the quote-unquote Connor Bedard sweepstakes, and as you all know, the Sharks are not the only team thinking about Mr. Bedard. I am sure the Ducks are as well, and that was something I asked Dan Wood, the Radio Color commentator with the Ducks, about yesterday. Well, I think it's on people's minds, no question, uh, especially given the way he dominated the world juniors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no team in this league that wouldn't love to add Connor Bedard. And certainly uh, those who are rebuilding, such as the Sharks and the Ducks, uh, that would be a nice ad. You know, I'd be all in favor of tanking for Connor Bedard if you knew that by finishing last you were going to get the first pick, but right. you don't. In <laughs> fact, the odds are that even if you finish last, you're not going to get the first pick. So I don't know that it makes an awful lot of sense. Obviously, the lower you finish, the better your chances. But, um, you know, you're going to be less than 50-50 no matter what. So I'm not sure it makes sense. No, it is It is a risky proposition. And then there's the also the other aspect of this of you just never know. Like I can name you 100 prospects in many other sports that simply did not pan out, even though they looked dominant at the level or at where they were to where it looked like they would be the next great talent. I mean, it obviously looks good for Bedard, but I mean, do you have that same type of reservation that I do? Or are you more like, come on, Ted, he looks pretty amazing. I wouldn't call mine a reservation. I think it's an acceptance of reality because Mm -hmm. you're hundred percent correct. There are no guarantees with any prospect that you draft. Um, You know, some obviously look better than others and some years, the number one pick in the NHL draft is a really big deal. Whereas other years, not so much. Um, You know, if, if you're talking about a player of the level of Connor McDavid or Nathan McKinnon, or going back even farther, uh, Sidney Crosby, and you can throw Mm -hmm. in other names as well. uh, You know, that that's something that could be a game changer for a franchise. I mean, I'll speak about the ducks because I know them best. If you look at this rebuild and you look at the young players the Ducks have, they have some good ones, but I don't know that they have anyone who is going to be, uh, you know, a a type of player like a McDavid or a McKinnon who you really can, uh, you know, ride his shoulders into the upper echelon of teams in this league. Now, Bedard might not be that either, but there's certainly a chance that he will, and it looks like a pretty good chance. So, Uh, You know, it's tempting. I mean, I think all of us who are affiliated with teams or root for teams near the bottom of the standings, we're all dreaming of getting Connor Bedard. Unfortunately, for most of us, that's not going to happen. No. Are you of the belief that you you do always need that next level talent to, to win? I mean, I know, I guess the most recent example would be the Blues, who had some very good players, but they didn't have the quote unquote superstar, whereas we see the McKinnons, you know, winning a a title, or we could just look at just the the oodles of talent that have been on Tampa Bay. Like, do you think it it always takes a superstar to win? More often than not, I think it does. I I wouldn't say that it's impossible to win a Stanley Cup without that elite player. I mean, if you had enough uh, really good players, but absent the elite player, you might be able to pull it off. But, uh, you know, let's be honest, teams that have, Uh, players like Nikita Kucherov or, you know, Nathan McKinnon. Those are generally the teams that we see hoisting the Stanley Cup. And those guys don't come around very often. 
you know, Connor Bedard might be one of those. Uh, you know, whether there will be another one this year, next year, the year after, uh, you know, we don't know. So uh, I, I think Connor Bedard is the real deal. Now, I haven't seen him play a ton, mm-hmm. but based on what I've seen, uh, he looks pretty legit to me. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I don't have um, an argument against that, but I would. I'll play devil's advocate, Dan, because I, I, I know that you're always up to the challenge. What if I said to you, there are two players in Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on the same team, and yet that's not equating to a Stanley Cup champion up to this point. I mean, it. Not, I'm not taking anything away from them, but that is the other side. It's like sometimes you can have literally, or for the argument, two of one and another of the top five best players in the league on the same team, and it's still not equating to Stanley Cup final wins or berths. Well, that's a great point because merely having the great player or like in Edmonton's case, the the one and the 1A great player, uh, you know, that's not enough. You still need to surround those guys with the right personnel. Uh, you know, in the NBA, maybe that works. In the NHL, it's not going to. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Edmonton over the years has not done that. And it's interesting to watch the Oilers because, you know, now you're hearing about how much they miss the veteran leadership in a player like Duncan Keith, who mm-hmm. they don't have anymore. Uh, you know, it seems like the Oilers are, are always trying to put those puzzle pieces on the periphery and they just haven't been able to do it. So, uh, you know, you, you need a lot to win in the National Hockey League. And certainly the great players are a good start. But as the Oilers have proven over the years, uh, you know, that doesn't guarantee anything. Again, that is Dan Wood, the radio color commentator of the Anaheim Ducks. And again, he used to cover the Sharks back in the day. And Dan most definitely knows his stuff. Always fun talking big picture with him. We are out of time, but we'll be right back with you this afternoon on the buildup as the Sharks get ready to take on the Bruins. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey, signing off. You've been listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide, brought to you by Coors Light on the Sharks Audio Network.